As we continue in our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, I remind you that Paul had written and was thankful that he was assured that the Thessalonians were a part of God's elect, that God had done a tremendous work in their lives and had brought them to faith despite all of the reasons that were present for them not to believe. It demonstrated the power of God in their lives. We now come to a section of the book in which Paul bears his soul to the Thessalonians, his heartache over not being able to be with them, and his concern that he has that they were walking with the Lord. And really, it is a bit out of joint with the first section, for the first section is a reflection of what Paul came to know and to understand. What we're looking at tonight actually predates what he came to know and understand because he had not yet gotten the report from Timothy that he sends to Thessalonica. So he's conveying what it was that prompted him to write the book of First Thessalonians. Part of that was to inform them that Timothy was going to be coming, but more than that, to, to share his heart and his experience and his ethos with the churches in order to help them through their ordeal. We find in the scriptures that Paul has a tremendous concern for the churches. And that concern proved to be a great weight for the Apostle Paul to bear. The general oversight of the churches was a great weight that Paul had had to bear and perhaps more than what we tend to recognize. We can see how great a weight it is when we compare it to the other pressures that Paul had encountered. If you notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 24, Paul relates to the Corinthians some of the experiences that he had, the ordeals that he went through. And he begins by saying, five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. So on five different occasions, he was beaten 39 times with lashes. Lashes would have been a flagellant that had uh, leather straps and would be embedded with, with stones, uh, pieces of glass, things that would rip the flesh open and bare. Perhaps you've seen some of those hideous pictures of slaves that were horsewhipped uh, during the, the time of uh, to slavery, and you see their back and the scars on it. You can only imagine on five different occasions being beaten with 39 lashes on each of those occasions. It goes on to say in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he says in verse 28, and apart from other things, 
there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's easy to read the scriptures and not become sympathetic with the characters that we read their accounts. It's easy to let certain things kind of go in one ear and out the other. But if you reflect on the physical toil that is revealed in verses 24 through 27, you can only imagine the strain that it played on Paul's body. Uh, beaten with rods three times, he was stoned. We know that he was left for dead. He would have been unconscious. You can't imagine the arthritis that that man must have had. You know, just the aches and the pains. Uh, football players, you know, know certain injuries and they walk with a limp. We know from church history that, that Paul had a very, very bad limp. He was virtually crippled. You can understand why. And a man who has gone through that kind of physical ordeal ends up by stressing that the most difficult aspect of his life is the anxiety that he has in the oversight in the daily administration of the churches. And it's striking in verse 28, it says, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure, meaning that it's constant. It's without relief. All the other things, I mean, he was a day and a night in the deep, but eventually that day and night passed. He was beaten five times with 39 lashes, but there came an end to the blows. There came a time for healing, but he talks about this relentless stress that is upon him, an anxiety, a pressure that comes from his daily oversight of the churches. So I hope we can get a sense here of the mental anguish that Paul encounters as he thinks about the well-being of the churches. I don't know if we have a tendency to think of Paul as this carefree individual that nothing gets to him. You know, he sits in a jail cell and he's, he uh, is singing and you know, nothing ever moves him, nothing ever bothers him. Well, we're going to find in this passage that, that he finds certain things extremely difficult to bear, and the greatest of which is his concern for the churches. His concern for the churches. One of the causes for great concern was Paul's inability to be at each church all the time. And uh, that was uh, the present issue that existed at Thessalonica, his simple inability to, to be there. But Paul could not be in two places at the same time. So the theme tonight is Paul seeks to communicate his concern for the Thessalonian believers, even though he is not there, it is not to be out of sight, to be out of mind. He wants them to know that he has a great personal interest in their well-being. He has a real love for them. And he wants them to understand how important that is so that they would be comforted and strengthened in their faith. Also, that they would understand that their own anxieties and fears 
are not inconsistent with being a Christian or in one commitment to Christ. I think that's important for us to hear tonight because sometimes we get the impression by people that mean well that somehow if there are concerns in our life, if there are anxieties, if there are worries, that we are not living up, we're not measuring up to what the scripture says to be not anxious. But we have to put the scriptures in a balance and we find out tonight that that Paul bore a great deal of, of anxiety and we're gonna see how that plays out in his interaction with the Thessalonians. He begins by Paul expressing his desire to return to Thessalonica. It says in verse 17, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Now as we dissect this verse, the first thing we notice is that Paul had not left the Thessalonians on his own volition in the, in the, in the first place. You might remember that Paul left Thessalonica because of the uproar that had occurred, because of the persecution that was being experienced. And he describes his leaving as being torn away from you. I love the word picture. I love the, the imagery. It's as though he's clinging on and he's, he's trying to, to stay in Thessalonica and the believers that are fearing for his life and his well-being are ushering him out of the city. And, and he's, he's, he's torn away. He, he really doesn't want to go. And he has anguish over leaving him. He certainly wasn't a man who fled persecution. He walked into persecution on repeated occasions. It wasn't that he was afraid. And he wanted them to know that his leaving wasn't just a half-hearted commitment to them or to the gospel, but he was actually torn away. He was ousted out of the city. And Paul anticipates that he will not be away from them for too long. For it says in verse 17, but since we're torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, for a short time, it's his expectation that he is going to be able to return. And he's looking forward to that time in which he will be in their presence again. He wants to see them. He wants to be with them. And so Paul expresses in emphatic terms a strong desire to return to them. Notice in verse 17, but since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. So he is physically absent, but his heart's with them. And you've heard that terminology before. And so he says, my heart is with you. And then he goes on to say, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. And, and, and you see the emotion that is emulating from these words. First, Paul emphasizes that he in particular wanted to come to them. 
Verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. So Paul is not unique in his desire to return to Thessalonica. His team wanted to return as well. But he wanted to make it clear that Paul himself, and in saying so, he's not diminishing the other people's commitment to Thessalonica or his desire to be with them, but he wants them to know that Paul himself wants to be there. For he's going to be sending Timothy. But he doesn't want to be represented in absentia. He isn't going to be satisfied with sending others in his stead. He's going to be able to hear about what's going on. He's going to be able to keep contact. He's going to be able to write and tell them what they need to hear. He's able to impart truth and share with them the scriptures. But that wasn't good enough. He wanted to be there in person. I, Paul. And secondly, Paul had repeatedly planned to come to them again and again. This wasn't a one-off situation. This isn't a matter of Paul being fickle, but it's a consistent desire and goal on his part to return to Thessalonica. Indeed, Paul had intended to come to Thessalonica more than once, but was prevented by Satan in doing so. Verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. It was Satan that hindered him, and we'll come back to that, because that's very important. The statement that Paul is being hindered by Satan is key to this passage. Paul does not see his return being hindered as fulfilling the purpose of God. And now here I have an aside, because I want to compare this to what Paul writes to the Romans, for it's quite different although it may look the same on the surface. For in the book of Romans, Paul writes to them to convey that it's Paul's will for him to be apart from them for a period of time, where in this instance, he's contributing his absence as the work of Satan hindering the work of God. Top of page three, Paul routinely ran into situations in which he desired to visit various churches but was prevented in doing so for various reasons. Paul had never visited the church at Rome but wanted to do so when God willed it. In Romans chapter one, starting at verses eight through 11, it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention of you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. Paul wanted them to know that he desired to see the church at Rome. He had never shared the gospel there, Church history tells us that the church at Rome was established by Peter. And so Paul, though, has a desire, and he keeps asking God 
to allow him to go to Rome. Paul had planned to come to Rome on numerous occasions, but was prevented in doing so in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. He made plans. I would submit to you he perhaps even even purchased some tickets to board ship. He was intending to to go to Rome, but those plans continually changed. The, The itinerary never manifested. It isn't until chapter 15 that Paul reveals the reason as to why he was hindered in coming to Rome. It turns out it's because he had set a priority to go to places that had not yet heard the gospel. Romans 15, 20. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Right? So he says, the reason I've been hindered is because my ministry is to those who have never heard. You're a well-established church. You heard. You have people there that can teach you. It's not high on the priority list. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about them. That doesn't mean that he isn't interested in them. But his ministry is to those that have never heard the gospel. That's the people to whom he's been sent. And so Paul says it's the will of God. And that's why he says in the first section in chapter 1, according to the will of God, I I don't want to act on emotion. I, I don't want to be responsive to simply human desires, whether they be yours or mine. But I want to be doing the will of God. And God's will for me is to be taking the gospel to people who have never heard. It says in Romans chapter 15. However, things were changing. His work was about completed. So he anticipated that he would come to Rome eventually. Romans 15, 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, well, that's a real testimony. For Paul to say that there's no more work for me to do in this area, that as he evaluates, that doesn't mean every single person heard the gospel. But Paul says, as I look at the region to which I've been ministering, there's no place for me to go now. That there isn't an opportunity for a witness to be manifested. And since I've longed for many years to come to you, now this gives us a perspective of time. Years have passed. Years. From which the church at Rome were requesting Paul's presence and his desire to go to them. He says in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He wants them to know he's not going to stay there. He's not going to tarry. He's not going to minister a long time because that's not the ministry that God has given him. But I hope to come to you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. I'll stay, I'll have fellowship, 
we'll enjoy each other, but then I'll be on my way to Spain. Verse 25, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. And so he still isn't coming. And Paul has an anticipation, but his anticipation doesn't work out exactly the way that he thought it would. Paul does eventually go to Rome, but of course he goes to Rome as a prisoner. And he's in house arrest during his stay in Rome. God gives him that opportunity to be there. But it is the will of God that right now, Paul doesn't go. However, the situation with the Thessalonians is far different. For on this occasion, he attributes the hindrance to the opposition of Satan, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So now it's not God, it's Satan. And that puts the whole situation in a different light. It creates a restlessness. It creates an anxiety. It creates a fear that Satan is somehow getting the upper hand here. That that Satan is, is winning out. And if Satan is able to prevent Paul from going to Thessalonica, what else is Satan capable of doing? What kind of inroads is Satan making into the church at Thessalonica. And so he's very concerned about their spiritual well-being based on this concept and knowledge that Satan is actively at work in opposing the gospel at Thessalonica. So Paul's wondering how effective Satan's activity was in undermining the faith of the Thessalonians. So Paul sends Timothy to minister to the Thessalonians in his absence. Paul is becoming undone in the concern for the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 3.1 Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to let behind it Athens alone. Paul is making a personal sacrifice and sending Timothy to the Thessalonians. He said we were willing to be left alone at Athens. No one to minister to him, no one to help him. He wants them to be aware that he is willing to make the sacrifices necessary in order for this ministry to be blessed in Thessalonica. He's not looking for a pat on the back, but he he is saying (laughs) that there is a personal toll that I'm going to take as a result of sending Timothy to you, but that's of greater concern for me. Your well-being is more important than my well-being at this moment, is what he is saying. Timothy is being dispatched with authority to Thessalonica. Verse 2, and we sent Timothy. Timothy is well qualified to minister to Thessalonians our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Paul doesn't want them to look at Timothy and 
devaluate his presence or to any way think that somehow they are getting the dregs of the ministry. Paul wants them to know that though he is not coming, he's sending someone that is well qualified, that also cares, also concerns, also can teach. He wants them to know that they are being cared for through Timothy and that Timothy is coming at Paul's instruction. This is Paul's doing to try to aid the church. Timothy is being sent to ground and encourage them in their faith. Verse 4. So when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand. Uh, excuse me, I skipped a page. First Thessalonians 3, 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's comforter, co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. That express intent. To establish and to exhort. To make sure that they are grounded and that they continue on in their commitment to Jesus Christ. The goal is that the Thessalonians will not depart from the faith as a result of the hardships that are coming upon them due to their faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions. And these afflictions could be both theirs and those of the Apostle Paul. That they wouldn't let these hardships, these difficulties, these, these persecutions tear them away from their allegiance to Christ. Rather, such hardships were to be expected, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we're destined for this. All right, so nothing strange is going on here. Your hardships, your difficulties are not inconsistent with your profession of faith. For we are destined, we are determined for these things. Yea, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For so persecuted they the prophets who are before you. We're destined for this, Paul says. So don't be moved by it. Don't be shaken by it. Paul had already warned the Thessalonians that the hardships would come. Paul had already told them that they would encounter difficulties right along with the Apostle Paul. For he says in verse 3, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. He told them that. And Paul had repeatedly rewarned them concerning the afflictions that they would go through. For it says in verse 4 that we kept telling you. It isn't something that, that he said once. But it was a theme of his presentation of the gospel. That in believing the gospel, in committing to Christ, you're going to have hardship. You're going to have difficulty. This is not going to be an easy road for you people. That's why he marvels that they placed their faith in Christ. It's almost like he's talking them out of it. Paul's message is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Paul's message is the gospel and commitment to the gospel is hard. Now part of that is cultural, part of that is the historic time in which 
Paul lived where persecution was, was rampant, when the word witness in the Greek is the word martyros, and I think you can easily see the, the English word that comes from that, martyr. In the New Testament period, a witness was synonymous with a martyr. It was so common to experience the persecution that one should anticipate it, one should prepare for it, one should look upon it. He says, I told you, I told you, you were destined for this. Three, Paul told them these things before it happened. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand, beforehand, before it came, before you experienced any of it, I told you it's coming. I told you it's coming. And he reminds the Thessalonians that they are to be fully aware of these things. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. Just as you know. Paul is reminding them that their experience was completely consistent with their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that they would not be moved by those afflictions and question their faith, but rather see it as consistent with their faith. It was proof of their faith. It was demonstration of their faith, which is why Paul is so convinced that they are part of the elect, for they were encountering what God's word says the elect encountered. Third, the ultimate motivation in Paul sending Timothy to the Thessalonians was to alleviate Paul's fears. That is, that the Thessalonians were going to walk away from the gospel and walk away from their faith, that Satan would win out. Paul clearly states an ultimate reason in sending Timothy, verse 5. For this reason, for this reason, there is an ultimate reason. There was the underlying reason of strengthening them in their faith, but the primary reason is he was eager to learn about their faith, verse 5. For this reason, what could bear it no longer, I, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear somehow the tempter had tempted you and your labor would be in vain. Paul could not put up with uncertainty of knowing the Thessalonian situation any longer. It says it twice. Verse 1, therefore, when we could bear it no longer. And verse 5, for this reason, I could bear it no longer. Paul had reached a climax. Paul had reached the end of his rope. Paul had come to a breaking point. He's speaking about the anxiety and the concern that he has over the church. And he says, I couldn't bear it any longer. I, I, I couldn't deal with not knowing what's going on. I couldn't put up with the thoughts that 
perhaps you are no longer standing true to the gospel. He said, I just had to know. I had to know. Well, I'm sending Timothy to you. Because I, I have to know how you're doing. Paul had to know whether or not the Thessalonians remained true to their profession of faith. Well, I sent to learn about your faith. Indeed, Paul was afraid that the evil one had undermined their faith, to fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, that had, he had lured you away, promising peace or prosperity or so much of the health and wealth gospel of today. That, again, Satan would get the upper hand. And then, E, Paul was afraid that all his efforts in preaching the gospel were for naught. For this reason, I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you in vain, tempted you, and now these words, and our labor would be in vain. Wow. What could that be unpacked? Our labor had been in vain. That all of this would have been for naught. All the suffering, all the hardship, all the persecution, all the turmoil would have been meaningless, pointless, of no benefit. One can only imagine what it would have been of like to go through shipwrecks, go through beatings, go through being stoned, and having to wrestle with the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? If you, if you read the Letters of Paul carefully, you, you find that that becomes a repeating theme. This aspect of it's worth it. It's worth it. it. It's something that doesn't just roll off of his tongue, but it's something that he has wrestled with. As he sits in jail cells, as he looks at his life, he wrestles with that question. Is it worth it? Was it worth it? And so he wants to find out, was the labor in vain in Thessalonica? Did all the good intentions just go up in smoke? Observations. First, Christians, both small and great, experience hardships. That's a main point that Paul wants to share with the Thessalonian believers. And thus, as we study the book of Thessalonians, that should be one of our primary takeaways. Paul suffered hardships for the faith. Josh Mo Thessalonian experienced hardships for the faith. 
It's not inconsistent with being a child of God if you're experiencing hardships tonight. God has not failed you. The, the, the gospel is not false. But unfortunately, some present the gospel in such a way that sometimes people feel that way. I can remember a phone call that I received from somebody who was crying on the other end. Just pouring out their heart to me, and I didn't know the person at all. Didn't share their name. And they said, you don't know me, but I know you. And I just have to ask you something. And they shared what they had done and the heartache and misery that they were experiencing. And they said, is it possible to be a Christian and to have these doubts and these fears? The answer is yes. Yes. Read the beginning of 1 Corinthians where Paul refers to himself as depressed. All the difficulties that he had with the Corinthian church was heavy on his heart and mind. It's not inconsistent to be hurting and to be a Christian. To be in pain and be a Christian. To be physically ill and be a Christian. To struggle in your relationships with others and be a Christian. The hardships that are a result of Satan's activities are the most difficult to bear. It can be incredibly, incredibly difficult to try to distinguish between those things that God is bringing into our life and, and Satan is bringing into our life. And, and I really believe that it's better to look at them in perspective. For God is sovereign, and what we need to understand is that in the very same situation, God is, is achieving one end, and Satan is trying to achieve a different end. Satan is trying to destroy our faith. God is seeking to build our faith. And so as Paul contemplates in Thessalonians, you see in chapter 2, which precedes logically to chapter 1, in chapter 2 he's focusing on Satan and wondering if they're going to make it. Well, he gets the report from Timothy and he they're doing fine, and he's assured they're part of the elect. So in chapter 1, he's writing and he starts with the rejoicing. <laughs> because if they're God's elect, God's going to keep them. 
Satan isn't going to be able to destroy their faith. God will conquer. God will prevail. Christ is risen. He is victorious. And we are kept by the power and the blood of Christ. And we'll be in his presence. And that's 1 Thessalonians 4. When Christ returns, we will be risen victorious with him. These things are not inconsistent. They're, they're a process of working through our whole understanding of faith and how the gospel works in the life of an individual. See, the pressure of leadership can be more difficult to bear than many physical dangers. What makes the pressures of leadership more difficult to bear than even physical dangers? It is the fear that one has wasted one's life and one's ministry may have been in vain. We all know what midlife crisis is. And there comes a time in life when we ask ourselves, is what I'm doing a waste? Is, is there something better I could be doing with my time? Well, if you're a child of God and you're living your life for him, it's never in vain. If we all want our lives to count for something, Paul's life was not lived in vain, nor were the lives of the Thessalonians who even died for their faith. 1 Thessalonians 2.1 For yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. You see, he gives them the conclusion, and then he talks about the struggle. He says, you know it wasn't in vain. I know it wasn't in vain. And yet, he was asking himself, is it in vain? Is it in vain? Many of you know that I adopted many, many years ago before I even entered the ministry, my life verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Never in vain. For it's in the Lord. It's in the Lord's power. It's in the Lord's strength. It's in the Lord's will. Satan be damned. And I say that word advisedly, for that is what will happen to him. He will be damned for all eternity. He doesn't win. And not one child of God is lost. Jesus said in John chapter 17, I have lost none. No one is able to pluck us out of his hand. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come on and on and on is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can tear us away. Nothing can defeat us. Doesn't mean there aren't hardships. Doesn't mean there aren't difficulties. Doesn't mean there aren't struggles. But tonight, reflect on the last point. 
we all stand in need of being reminded of the great truth that lives committed to the gospel are not lived in vain. We know it, but we have to be reminded of it. We have to reflect upon it. We have to dwell upon it. If Paul could ask the question, is it in vain? Is it any wonder that we ask the question from time to time? Is it in vain? Is it worth it? Is it worth the commitment to be teaching Sunday school? Is it worth being an elder and going to all these meetings? Is it worth the misery, the heartache? Is it worth putting up with the grief of people complaining about the decisions that are being made? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And the answer is yes. Because your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And all that Paul is going to reveal in the rest of Thessalonians, he is going to prove it's worth it. It's worth it. Paul needed to be reassured that his labor was not in vain. How much more do we at times need to be reassured? Don't beat yourself up in times of doubt. But go to the word of God and be reassured. Be reassured that any commitment to the gospel is not in vain, even if it means the sacrificing of one's life. It will have been worth it. You will be in the presence of God forever and ever experiencing the joy and the bliss of hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would help us to be reassured in our own hearts and minds tonight. Especially if there's someone here tonight who is hurting and going through a lot of anguish, a lot of turmoil, stress, weariness, they're tired. They have exercised a great deal of effort. And they feel that Satan is getting the advantage. And wondering why all this is, is happening. May you grant assurance to each one tonight that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. May we see Christ high and lifted up. May we see him as the victor, the conqueror of the evil one. May we know, O oh God, that your plans flourish. Your purposes prevail. May we understand that you never have promised that life would be easy. In fact, you have taught us the exact opposite. You have taught us that we must carry our cross daily. But you've also taught us that it is worth it. Oh, Lord, strengthen our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.